0: Anyway, so this week uh, I felt to continue on with the names of God that we find in the Bible. Uh, I I really have been enjoying kind of studying each and every name that that God has in the Word. And I'm actually going to use one that was actually called out last week here in the service uh, by one of you. And uh, I was drawn to this week to this name because it perfectly reveals the posture that we need to be taking today. Right now in November, in the year 2020, a year like no other year, Uh, You know, it's a posture that is a total trust and reliance on God. That's it. A total trust and reliance on God. And it's not at all what we can bring to the table. And like I said last week, while while knowing his name does show that you're interested in every aspect of who he is, uh, this name in particular, you know, it demonstrates that in action, who we are in our relationship with him. It's important to know your role within a relationship, isn't it? I think about my relationship with Holly and my marriage, and I know a position that I take. Uh, I know what she's good at, I know what I'm good at, and we let each other do the things that each of us are very good at. For example, for, my, for Holly, she's excellent at writing. Like She's a, a wordsmith like no other. Uh, so whenever you see a Facebook post or something like that, Holly is the one that does that because I know that if I do it, uh, I'll just confuse you guys by my bad vocabulary or whatever the case may be. So I just describe, okay, this is what I want to say. And Holly, you know, it was like three words. Holly is able to write a paragraph on it, which is fantastic. On the other hand, if, if Holly is having trouble with anything technological, I'll step in and do that. So we have our role, and that's just an example, but that's the example that we have in our relationship. And you know what I love about healthy relationships is that we can let go of the things, you know, that that we can trust our significant others to do, right? The significant others can complete because they can do it. They can either do it in a more efficient way or in a better way. And the same is with our relationship with Christ. So let me just remind you again of some of the names that we've already covered uh, of God's because I want to connect them all together today. And the first thing that we covered was Elohim Shesed. Does everybody remember what that one is? Fantastic. I'm glad you guys are picking that up. It means the God of my mercy. The God of my mercy. It means that the mercy of God follows us. It is in front of us, it is within us. We are surrounded by God's mercy. Hallelujah. That is a fantastic thing that God has for us. His mercy is completely surrounding us, and nothing can escape his mercy. And last week we went through Jehovah Shammah, which is, I'm not going to test you on this because you probably don't remember anyways. It is the Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there, which is a prophetic declaration of God's presence over all aspects of our lives. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And what I love about these names is that you know, there's actually there's not enough names out there to describe the glory of God. There is not enough names out there, the wonder and majesty of who he is. That's why there's so many of them. Because you know, when you really search after God, you discover that you need him and you need to know him more and more. And the more that I, what I find so fascinating is that the more you know about God, the less you realize you don't know about God. You go after him. It's like a never-ending search. You're going after him continually. But the more you go after him, the more you realize, I have got a long way to go. Right? There's no pride in this whatsoever. It is a complete humility. And I, I love that, though, because it's a, it's, a, it's a lifelong search. And I've had so many examples, even here in this body, of people that have made that their lifelong search. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, you, you can't achieve anything without having Him. So, in this relationship, you're leaving righteousness up to Him. So, I'm going to talk about righteousness this morning, but we have to leave righteousness up to Him. That's still something that we're going to leave for Him to take care of, which is the name that we're looking at today. And it's this Jehovah Sidkanu, and it means the Lord of our righteousness. The Lord of our righteousness. He is our righteousness because our righteousness as Christians is justified only by our union to Christ. That's it. His righteousness and not our own. Now, I'm going to be saying righteousness a lot this morning, okay? And it's probably wise that we define it. So what does it mean exactly? It's an attribute that can actually only be assigned to God because one of, none of us can achieve it on our own. So righteousness is a gift given to us by Christ in his love. That's it. It's the only standard of righteousness that we have. So when you think of righteousness, you have to think of Christ. You have to think of God. Righteousness is his and his alone. Okay? So we live in a world right now where people tend to believe that their ways are right in their own eyes. Right? And we believe that, that you know, there, and most people believe that there's not any absolute standard of righteousness or, or goodness. Right? The idea of sin and forgiveness to some is so foreign because they think that they're actually good enough. How many people do you say, yeah, okay, great, Jesus is great, but I think I'm a pretty good person anyway, so I don't think I, I need that. So they don't realize that sin is something that they, they need to get rid of out of their lives because they think that they're good enough. So truth becomes relative to whatever people think or feel is right. So we have two standards of righteousness. We have the righteousness of man and the contrasting righteousness of God. So in human standards, to be righteous means to be morally upright, okay, which again would be a moving target really, because, you know, depending on your context, uh, you know, it could be whatever you believe is good is good. So it's not easily defined. To be spiritually righteous, though, means that being, you have to be upright in the eyes of God. That's what it means. It's totally different. You have to be upright in the eyes of God, upright in character, upright in nature, upright in conscience, uh, upright in attitude and conduct and our action in our word, and that's a tall order, isn't it? To be upright in all those areas of our lives, that's a, that's a hard thing to do. So true righteousness is based on God's standards because he is the ultimate lawgiver and the ultimate example for us here on earth. Righteousness is a God-centered attribute. That's why from a, a spiritual perspective, you know, self-help is actually not very helpful to us. Because in me and myself, there is actually no good thing. There's nothing in myself that I can actually make myself better. Self, I can't self-help myself through my sin. I can't do that. There's nothing helpful there in of myself, which is why we have to look away from ourselves and look to him continually. So wait a second. Do you think that's possible that, that righteousness can then be a part of us? Can righteousness actually be a part of us? Is it, isn't it only just a characteristic of God? Well, I guess so. I've got really good news for you today. It is available to you. Righteousness is absolutely available to you, and it can be in you. It can be inputted into you, is what it says in a lot of, uh, a lot of it's a fancy word of people saying the righteousness can actually be put inside of you, which is a beautiful thing. Righteousness is no longer a theory, concept, or an abstract idea. Through Jesus, it's now a fact that you can have, that you can grab onto and say in confidence, the Lord is my righteousness. Amen? Fantastic. So, why is this important? Because we, as humans, are inclined to follow our own paths and our own ways instead of God's. And this selfish desire for independence from God is actually part of our nature now. Okay, and it goes right back to Adam and Eve who, who wanted to be masters of their own lives. And, and we've struggled with the same thing ever since. Adam and Eve, wanted thought they could be, you know, let's, let's be like God. And they, they, they partook of the apple and then they became... Uh, You know, they they partook of that, and they wanted to be like God. They wanted to do it on their own. But here's the thing. We actually can't do it. Our standards don't cut it. Our standard of life doesn't cut it. Our understanding of what is good also does not cut it. The Bible actually says that our deeds, even the ones that we think are righteous, are nothing but... Does anyone know? Filthy rags. I have four children. I know what a filthy rag is from cleaning up after them. It's not something that you want. Filthy rags. Our goodness... Anything that we can do in ourselves is nothing but filthy rags in the eyes of God. Amen? So so what do we do? We need something to remove these rags and put on a robe of righteousness on us instead. Right? And this is where my text comes from today. And it's in Jeremiah 23 and 5 through 6. You can go there in your Bible apps right now if you want to. It says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. So here's the context of that scripture. The prophet Jeremiah spoke excuse me, to the kingdom of Judah for 40 years. From the end of the Assyrian period right until Judah was actually destroyed by Babylon. And uh, when you read Jeremiah, you see that the book mixes sermons. Uh, it, it mixes prophecy and some of Jeremiah's experience during that 40-year period. And when you read Jeremiah, you get a good look at his heart for the people, uh, for his people, the Judeans. You know, you get a good idea of what his heart is like towards them. And uh, just like a good number of the prophets, what do the Judeans do in return? They wanted to kill him. <laughs> they wanted to kill him. They, they rejected him, and they, they planned to kill him. And you know why? Because most people don't like being told what to do, do they? Again, if you have kids, you know, kids don't like being told what to do either. Most people do not like being told what to do or what they're doing wrong, and this was true for the Judeans. But Jer- Jeremiah's message of judgment and wrongdoing, actually, it actually concludes with a message of rest- restoration, a message of forgiveness, and a, rest- a message of new life. It actually concludes with that. And you're going to see this, this pattern a lot in the prophetic books of the Bible because basically to, to make something new, you have to uproot it. You have to uproot the wrong. You have to uproot the stuff that's bad and put life back into it. Pastor John is an avid gardener these days. I don't know if you've seen his vegetable gardens lately. Uh, But uh, thanks to Paul, he's got these beautiful garden beds now. He made these nice boxes for him. And uh, my dad spent basically the entire summer out there caring for the vegetables. And the, the, the sad part about it is that when it comes to fall, he starts to uproot everything. So it's very temporary. He has to uproot everything. But why does he do that? Because there has to be new life coming in there in the spring. So to make something new, you have to uproot the old. No matter how good you think it is or how good it was, sometimes that stuff needs to be uprooted and pulled out so that new life, the new stuff, the better stuff can be planted in there, right? So who do you think that Jeremiah is referring to when he prophesies, I will raise up for David a righteous branch? Who do you think he's talking about there? Anybody? It's the Sunday school answer. You'll get it right, I guarantee it's Jesus, right? It's Jesus, who will also be called the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu. You know, I would have been, it would have been hard for the Judeans, though, at the time to understand that fact, right? But our New Testament minds can look at this verse, and we can see plainly the promise of Jesus in it. The branch, Jesus Christ, the Lord of our righteousness, gives us a way to reconcile our sin, because Jesus makes us righteous by faith. So this branch between God and man not only removes the sin, but also removes the penalty of that sin the penalty that we actually deserve for the sin that we do, which is why he alone is our righteousness. What a great deal. What a fantastic deal. Don't you love great deals? I love great deals. I mean, I don't deserve it. Uh, you know, I, we had a window cleaner come in a little. I, for years, I didn't want window cleaners coming to my house because I thought they were going to gouge you. I'd pay hundreds of dollars for them to clean, clean the windows of my house. But it turns out we got a quote from someone. It was a couple hundred bucks, and that guy spent hours at our house, removing the grime from our windows that I so lazily didn't want to do. I actually tried to clean the windows myself. I tried to do it in my own strength. God forbid. I tried to clean my windows. I got a squeegee out. I looked up online what you know, soap and mixture we should use, and I did a terrible job. I didn't do a good job. But I called on someone else to do it, and they did a fantastic job. And it was a great deal. I love great deals. Because, and you know what? Jesus is a fantastic deal. We don't deserve the righteousness that we receive. We can't create the righteousness that we do on our own. We can't do it in our, by ourselves. We can't do it in our own strength. But Jesus can fill us with his righteousness. Amen? So we have to understand that Jesus was and still is the only branch that we can hold on to. Even though we have tried so hard to prove our righteousness uh, in our own way. And how can we be righteous? God actually gave us a couple of earthly ways, you know, that we could try to prove our righteousness. First, he gave us the law. He gave us the law, the Ten Commandments, but we kept breaking them over and over again. He gave us the law so that we can prove our righteousness in that. So then he gave us the ability to provide sacrifice for our sins. But then the priests who provided the sacrifices, you know, they started abusing their power, and it wouldn't turn out so good for us there either. What happened after that? Then, you know, the judges came out and said, basically, you know, do what is right in your own eyes. And obviously, that did not work out either, because we can't really prove what's right in our own eyes, because it's a moving target. So then, the people want to be ruled by a king, but the kings are not able to, come to over, overcome their own sin, and were not even good in the eyes of God either. Right? They were not good either. Okay. And then we have let's I got an idea. Let's let's make prophets who can hear from God and then advise the kings, and the kings will learn what to do from the prophets because the prophets hear directly from God. What happened in that situation? The kings don't like being told what to do, so they kill the prophets. Right. Kill the prophets. We can't do it in our own strength. All these things that we're trying to bring righteousness into our lives, they're not working. They, they're not working at all. And through this, God is saying to people, you know, you know what, we need a better lawkeeper. We need a better priest. We need a better judge. We need a better sacrifice, a better prophet, a better king. None of these earthly things are working to restore God to man. None of them are working. Man must have a righteousness or God can't accept them. Man must have a perfect obedience or else God can't be in relationship with him. So what do we need? We need Jesus. That's what we need. We need Jesus. A righteous branch is needed. Not one that is dependent on us to achieve righteousness because, uh, because the truth is that we sin every day in one way or another. We can't do it. We can't uh, be perfect. I tried to be, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist sometimes. I was growing up and uh, I, I got mad at myself when I was very young. It was probably Sophia's age. And my dad said, Joel, don't worry, you can't be perfect. And my response to him was, well, Dad, I can try. I can try. But I've since realized I'm very not perfect. I'm married in many different ways. So ever since we've been handed this gift from our Heavenly Father, the old Adam within us struggles for dominion over us. And this duality, the the dynamis, this twin that I was talking about last week, within each of us is the struggle we all face, the struggle between belief and disbelief. You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The good we should be doing, but we do not. And the evil that we should not be doing, we do a lot of, right? That is why there is only one who is good. There is only one who is righteous, and that is God. We are saved and redeemed by his righteousness. He alone is the Lord of our righteousness. Jesus is our prophet because he teaches us the will of God. Jesus is our priest because he provided and became the sacrifice and now pleads with God for us. And Jesus is our king because he rules over us and he defends us. Amen? This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Oh, what a perfect sacrifice. Amen. You might think some, sometimes people think, again, they're out, out in the world. They, they think that they're good. And maybe some of us think that we're really good too. And what I find interesting is that whenever you, you, you talk about salvation to Christians, you think, oh, yeah, well, I already gave my life to Jesus. That's fine. I'm, I'm there. I'm good. I'm good the fact of the matter is we always need the gospel the gospel is something we continually need every day his righteousness is something that we need continually it's not something that's just a one-time shot you're saved you're going to heaven yes that is true that is true but we need the gospel we need to understand that that we can't do it without him every day we need his salvation because we're not good enough And watch out for anything that, that dare glorify itself against the glory of God. Because this is, what, uh, this is actually what Jeremiah says, a couple of uh, verses before in Jeremiah seventeen five. This is what the Lord says. He's prophesying here. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. And again, Jeremiah says that this is what the Lord says. So as a prophet, that means that these are the words that are coming directly from God. We get that, right? That the worship of power, of wealth, is actually an offense to the guy that created the universe. It's actually an offense. It's a perversion to celebrate a king over God. Well, that's okay, Joel. We don't have a, a king in Canada. No, we don't. We have a there's a president in the US, there's a prime minister. That, we can, that sometimes some of us worship. There's pastors, there's prime ministers, there's CEOs, sometimes parents, anyone that's placed in a higher position than God. That's an offense to God, right? It's a misplaced trust when all we actually need is Jehovah Sikkenu, the Lord of our righteousness. Anything else, anything going after anyone in a position of power and believing that they can bring us righteousness, that they can bring righteousness into even our country, that's a misplaced trust. There's only one person that can bring righteousness into this land, into us, into everywhere, and that is Jehovah Sidkenu. Pray for your leaders. Pray that they receive the same righteousness. But other than that, we are only going after one leader. Amen? Amen. There are a lot of people celebrating. There's a lot of people protesting right now in a time where what we really need is for God to move That's that's all we really need. We need God to move. It's not about being, don't misunderstand me, it's not about being left or right. It has nothing to do with that. It's about being vertical. It's about being up with him. That's what it's about. And here's what another prophet, Amos, actually said. This is, is, I I love the prophets because they're direct. I hate, I spurn your festivals and smell no fragrance in your convocations. Ouch! Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed. I need Christ as the Lord of my righteousness. I I don't need an election to determine what is good. I don't need a specific group that claims to align itself with Christian values. I don't need politics. I don't need an ideology. I don't need conspiracy theories. I don't need entertainment. I need a prophet. I need a priest. I need a king who actually cares about me and not a vainglorious uh, personal agenda. I need a true personal Savior who, who rather than I perish, offers himself as a sacrifice to make me acceptable and righteous in our Father's eyes. We have to continue to remind ourselves as Christians that this salvation is the only thing that matters. It is the only righteousness. It's the only truth that will actually satisfy you. Nothing else in this world comes even close when you get a revelation of, of who you are and, and what you actually deserve, you quickly realize that nothing else is going to work. It's going to make you want to cling to the cross continually. I can't do it without him. He becomes my hope and my glory. Jesus Christ, the hope of my glory. He in me is my righteousness. Nothing else. Nothing else. In him we are forever loved by God unconditionally, just as children are forever loved by their parents no matter what. Usually, <laughs> just kidding. Yesterday, I was at my, my in-laws house, Sue and Gary, and uh, we were just there visiting very quickly. We went to the backyard to play in their backyard, and we're having a lo- Holly and I were having a lovely conversation with Sue and Gary, and then we quickly realized, hey, wait a second, where's Sophia and Karis? And they come, they come out, and uh, we watched what they had done. They had actually, Sue and Gary had this lovely outdoor tiled thing in their deck, and for, I have no reason, I don't know why they did it, but they decided, hey, let's smash those tiles. <laughs> so the tiles were smashed, and we're like, why on earth would you do that? Why, are you, what are you doing? And uh, obviously, we're really angry. We're like, okay, we are going home now. We're, we're going home. Let's go gather truths. go home. We're going home, and you're going to have a quiet time. You're going to be upstairs. You're going to have a quiet time. And uh, I'm just going gonna, gonna to study while you're having a quiet time. And all of a sudden, I'm there working on my computer, and all of a sudden, Karis comes up to me. She goes, Daddy. I'm like, yes, Karis, why are you here? You're supposed to be having a quiet time. She gives me a card that says, Daddy, I am so sorry. And then like, that's really, thank you. That's, uh, you're going to make me cry. You should have also done one for Grandma and Grandpa. I do. I've got one here for Grandma and Grandpa, too. Grandma and Grandpa, I'm sorry for what I did. <laughs> Isn't that cute, though? I mean, they're, they're terrible. They didn't. I shouldn't have done that but they always come back. They, they, there's always a love for your children no matter what they do. No matter what they do, there's always a love for them. And we are accepted and justified, not by, again, not by our own goodness, because what's in us is not good. We're not justified by our goodness, but by the perfect love of God. So what do we do? How do we respond to, to someone who has loved us so tremendously? It's actually simple, and he made it, he actually made it simple for us as well. We express our gratefulness by continually living in His righteousness, That's what we do. We have the privilege of reconciliation with God, and we've been adopted into the family of God because of that righteousness. Because of that righteousness. Don't you love that, that the spirit of adoption is on us as children? That we have that love spread coming down to us as his children, that we've been adopted into his family? Isn't that beautiful? Holly's been adopted into my family, and then we, when we go over to my parents' house, we already we know the code to their door, so we can get into their house whenever we want to. We went over there this week. They gave us the code, so we can go right in. And Holly's like, I don't. We should tell your parents that we're coming over. Like, oh, don't worry about it. They like us when we come over, so we go over. We sit down. We we were there just to have some quiet time so that we could work. And uh, Holly, we went. I went into their fridge. I pulled out their best chocolate. <laughs> gave some to Holly. She said, Holly, you shouldn't you shouldn't be doing it. like. Holly, don't worry. You have been adopted into this family. The love is yours. You can have whatever you want. Amen? Sorry, I didn't tell you about that chocolate, by the way. i have to get you some more. Amen. So how do we do this? It's all about faith. It's about believing in Christ. It's about trusting in Christ. It's about putting all your hope in him. That's what leads us to the righteousness of God. Righteousness is the God-given quality, again, inputted into us when we believe in Christ. Amen? Have you ever done data entry on a computer before? You input data into the computer so that it performs a function? Same thing. His righteousness is inputted into us so that we can actually bring that righteousness to everywhere that we go. His righteousness is inputted into us. Even though sin, if you look back at the beginning with Adam and Eve, with sin... Sin, they, they, create, they did the sin, and now that sin was inputted into us. That is the original sin that's within us. Now that sin has been removed, and what's been put in there instead is his righteousness. Yes. Amen? That's a good trade. Again, a very good deal. Very good deal. And, you know, while the church is, is busy arguing about what theology is correct, <laughs> even though, you know, we all just see in part, the whole church should actually be shouting agreement that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our righteousness. That is the one thing that we can all agree on. Jesus Christ, the Lord of our righteousness. This should always be something that stirs your heart. The fact that regardless of what's going on, you can cry out, Lord, you are my righteousness. Let me read that verse again. In in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Why am I wowed by this verse? It's not that Judah's going to be saved. It's not that Israel's going to live in safety. That's, that's, those are all good things as well, too. Uh, but, you know, what? actually what, what strikes me in that verse is this, is that it's the word hour that wows me. I'm wowed because I'm included in the hour. You're included in the hour. That word hour is what makes it inclusive to us. I'm not an outside, you know, looking in, wishing that God could accept me. I'm on the inside looking at his face, praising him boldly approaching his throne. Me being a sinner no longer defines my relationship with my heavenly father. It doesn't. Jesus defines my relationship now. Jesus defines that relationship with my heavenly father because I am in Christ and Sid Sidkenu is in me. I am saved. Christ in us. The Lord is our righteousness. Amen? That is such a wonderful, wonderful declaration of who he is in us and what our relationship is with him. Amen? I'm just going to pray now. If you all want to stand with me, If you can. How many people want his righteousness? Guess what? You can never have enough of it either, by the way. Yeah, we have some of it. We're saved. But you know what? We can have even more of his righteousness. We can have more of him in us all the time and put it into us. How many people want more of his righteousness? Amen? I know I do. So let's pray that right now. Really pray in agreement with me? Loving Father, we praise you for your great salvation in Jesus Christ, who is Lord our righteousness. Thank you that your promises to us, the church, never fail, and are always yes and amen in Christ. Lord Jesus, our righteousness, all honor and praise and glory belong to you. Thank you for imparting your righteousness to us when, when we repent and, and call on your salvation. Protect your people, we pray, and bring them into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, their true Messiah, who is the way, the truth, and the life. In the name of Jesus, Lord, let your righteousness fall on us right now. Let us feel the power of the righteousness in us right now, Lord. Lord, that you are the Lord of our righteousness, Lord. We declare that you are Lord of our lives. And we just, we just receive your righteousness now in Jesus' name. Amen.